You won't believe who the latest headline has to do with. Oh no, not again. Yep, yet another act of ignorance we have to cover, and it can only be one person that I'm talking about. Novak's Jokovic. Hello everyone and welcome to Hold On To Your Racket, the podcast for Gen Z tennis fans. We're your hosts, Shravya and Josefina. Josefina and I are so excited to be creating this podcast and sharing our love for tennis with you all. Shravya and I are two high school gals and tennis fanatics united together by our on-the-court and off-the-court companionship. And we're the female Gen Z voices in modern day tennis you've been looking for. So we hope you enjoy this episode and stay tuned for more. So we're back with another episode of Hold On To Your Racket, and today we're going to be covering a wide range of tennis. However, unfortunately, it seems to be majority ATP for some reason, and that's that's the trend we've been getting these past few weeks, and I don't know how we feel about it. Definitely not great. Yeah, we're going to talk about that later, too, because it's a stark contrast. Yeah, so... I mean, if you want to, we haven't done an episode since before Valentine's Day, so happy Valentine's Day, even though it's like February 20th. But um, yeah, you know, just in the spirit of the month of love. Yay. Well, this next thing is not really in accordance with that theme. So take it away. Right. So as we hinted at with our little intro, Novak's Djokovic has unleashed another tirade of his latest stupidity. So, I mean, when both of us first saw the news about this, it was pretty early in the morning for both of us, because I think the BBC article, his interview came out probably, like, for Europe time in their morning. So we were kind of, like, just woken up and, like, we're getting ready for school. And then I opened up Twitter on my phone and I saw it and I was like, you have got to be kidding me. And like when we saw like the pull quotes and all that, we were like really kind of like this has to be made up, right? But it's not. Um, So as you might know, we've covered this issue so many times. But last month, seems like it was a lot longer ago than just a month. But Novak Djokovic, the world number one, was deported from Australia due to his... Um, vaccine status, vaccination status, or lack thereof. It was kind of this whole court case, like a whole thing with a loophole. He was let in, and then people were like, no, and then outrage bursted out, and and eventually the Australian government decided that his presence in the country would just incite anti-vax sentiment, so they kicked him out. But it was controversial nonetheless. Um, And him not being there actually had a huge impact on his career and like kind of what he was going for this year but like it really did shake things up just in the pure sports side of things too aside from all the politics and vaccine stance as well yeah so as you might have realized by now he missed out on the big number 21 because we know that roger rafa and novak were all tied at 20 before this year's australian open but then rafa was able to take it instead so now he is that at that like one step above the other three and you know you would think that this might change his views on getting vaccinated if anything because that's that's the main thing we were thinking about if you think about um you know how Rafa won and kind of during the final what was Djokovic thinking it must have been like oh see it's worth it to get vaccinated just bare minimum bare minimum here but um Obviously, like it would be sad. It would yeah. be sad if it had to come to that to convince him. But we were like, okay, maybe at that least, will convince at him. At least. You know? However, yeah. in this BBC interview, he said in response to sacrificing titles and even his possible reputation as goat, he said, "Quote: Yes, that is the price I'm willing to pay." And he said he's willing to sacrifice titles, quote, because the principles of decision making on my body are more important than any title or anything else. I'm trying to be in tune with my body as much as I possibly can. Okay, man, I just don't understand because every time somebody asks him about whether he's anti-vax, he goes, 
I'm not anti-vax. I'm not part of that movement. I'm about making your own individual choices. And then when people ask him why he's not vaccinated, it's always, um, what does he say? He goes, like, uh, I don't have enough information about the yeah, vaccine like, yet. Yeah, yeah, what it'll and do I for just, my body. I just don't understand <laughs> It just screams privilege, like, the fact that he's sort of, like... And he even says this. He said this in this interview. I was never against vaccination. I understand that globally, everyone is trying to put a big effort into handling this virus and seeing, hopefully, an end soon to this virus. Hello, if you you're say, not helping. If you say that you understand this global effort and the need to do so, and then actively are making the decision to so um, firmly stand against getting vaccinated... That in itself is anti-vax. Like, that in itself is, at the very least, like, um, not showing, like, showing that you don't understand that this is a globally, um, this is a global effort and that you need to do your part and get vaccinated Mm -hmm. and help out with that. Um, And, like, he's just, again, it's just, it's just privilege, like, just not wanting to do it and being so ignorant of that is, in my view, like, you might think, like, oh, it's just, like, one person, whatever, but, like, first of all, it's about being part of this effort, and in his position with the platform that he has, I feel like it's even more disrespectful, and as a person who, like, with your career, is always traveling around, right? Yeah, it's just, honestly, at this point, him saying this, he's, like, anti-humanity, <laughs> not just anti-vax. <laughs> Yeah, this is this was a really disappointing interview. I saw a lot of Djokovic fans on Twitter actually really disappointed in this because I guess this is the first time that he really came out like said um, it clearly because before said he says yeah. like he um kind of alludes to it in like a general sense, but now he just like put the words out word for word and like we have a bunch of quotes that are of him admitting this. But um actually in addition to speaking about his um, kind of view on vaccination, he also spoke of his short-lived experience in Australia. So they also discussed um, kind of what was going on from his viewpoint in Australia. And we all recall that one day that he was allowed to train and everyone thought that it meant he would be participating. And I remember Shravi and I saw that and we were going insane. We were so oh, when he mad. Was on, when he was on Rod Laver Arena, right? That yeah. hitting session? Yeah. So what he said about that day, quote, I had helicopters flying above every single training session that I had on Rod Laver Arena. Cameras all over the place. Also, I felt that energy and those looks from my colleagues and people that were in the tennis facility. That really hurt me a lot. End quote. And honestly, like, not only did he get himself into this, but I have to say that I kind of appreciate the fact that his colleagues were giving him dirty looks. Yeah. I yeah, didn't, well deserved. I didn't imagine that would actually happen because, you know, he's Novak Djokovic, you know, you don't really touch him, you just let him do what he does. But the fact that he felt that energy, I have to say I, I appreciate that from his fellow players. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, he got himself into this mess. I have absolutely zero sympathy for this whole situation, aside from maybe the detention situation. But also, there's people going through that for much longer times and in much worse situations, like we were hearing about with all the refugee crisis and stuff. So it's really hard to have sympathy for someone with this much privilege who is actively making this decision because, like, you know, it's, it's just... And, and to come out and say these things, it's really disrespectful when a lot of people are trying to do their best to curb the pandemic and your fellow players are taking this very simple step and, you know, going about and making sure that they're participating in these tournaments safely. Mm-hmm. I do hope that maybe if the tours had a vaccine mandate, that would maybe, I don't know if that would make things better or worse, but it does seem like that this issue of, like, players not getting vaccinated is really not that widespread. It's really kind of just him and a couple others, and he's said that he's willing to sacrifice whatever, so it is what it is. It is what it is. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, just, I completely agree with everything that you said. But, um, luckily, 
we get to move on to some amazing and mm-hmm. you know queen like iconic news past that so both just, these next stories are queen yeah. like icon- iconic news so, so leave all yeah. that like junk behind we're moving <laughs> forward guys and we're going to move forward with venus and serena williams harper's bazaar cover so they were featured in the harper's bazaar legacy issue and the uh it was called venus and serena williams on their own terms as was, they should as they should it was amazing it was a great interview, I believe, done by a UNC professor. I don't exactly remember, but definitely check it out. But it was an interview with both of the sisters, and the author noted that it was on Zoom, and Venus was, like, in transit somewhere, and Serena had her camera off the whole time, and I just thought that was really funny. Um, but they talked about a wide range of different topics. Obviously, this is surrounding sort of the latest news about them, which is the success of the King Richard movie. So they talked about that a bit, especially Serena and how it reflects their their family dynamic. (laughs) Um, And Serena said, and this is exactly what Josefina told me, actually, after she watched the movie and texted me. Serena said, this isn't a movie about tennis. This is a movie about family. And a really interesting parallel she drew is because she said that she's a huge Marvel fan. So Serena's, like, likened King Richard to... <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I wasn't expecting that. She likened King Richard to the Iron Man movies, and she said there are still other stories around it. Um, referring to the stories of Venus, their other sisters, their mom, and Serena herself that kind of make up that whole superhero saga, aside from just Richard, but that kind of just showing that it's a more of a, a story about family than just about how they um, rose through the tennis ranks. Yeah, and like Shravya said, when I told um, her that I'd watched the movie, I said, you know, this is a movie that you go to see with your dad. Like, it's mm-hmm. about, it's about like, the family experience, you know, watching it. Because, honestly, you don't even have to know tennis. You just have to be able to relate to kind of a family dynamic. And I really appreciated that about the movie. And, honestly, that, that's shown through, especially considering that they got some oscar nominations i think just, everybody just, appreciated just, it just a little just a little thing called yeah. six oscar nominations you know no. nothing big it's totally totally casual anyway um so they were also asked about their um story and then the context of black american american history especially <laughs> considering that you know february is black history month so it's definitely an important topic now but even throughout the year But either way, the uh, quote from the article was, The Williams sisters were archetypes of the kind of deep kinship ties that are central to the black American experience. Venus is quick to point out the idiosyncratic in the universal. I think that our family is just unique to ourselves, she says. Obviously, we're an African-American family, and it's important for people to see African-American families in that dynamic to have role modeling. Still, she stresses again, our family was super unique. But, you know, here she's kind of admitting that, yeah, they, they have, like, a special experience considering they're two of the best tennis players ever. Um, mm-hmm. But either way, you know, like I said, there's just something that families can relate to. And especially, as she said, African-American families and kind of that dynamic and the fact that their experience and the movie that represented their experience is not only about tennis it's about it's about them and their experience as african americans their experience as a family just everything and everything kind of gets tied into the movie with like a neat little bow yeah that section of the article was one of my favorites because it it highlights it in like I think we often see their story printed in broad strokes as just, like, these black American idols in history and kind of just, like, the quintessential, like, um, like torchbearers for black American success. But I think Venus really added some nuance to it, kind of saying that, like, yes, it's great that, you know, we're, we're there as those role models, but also every family is unique, including ours. Um, so I thought that was really interesting and a kind of a necessary... Um, uh, necessary kind of nuance the narrative that it's all 
sort of the same or just like one sort of can be viewed in one sort of way now um towards the end of the piece they also the two sisters spoke about their current outlook on their life and careers which as we can see just looking at their instagram extend far beyond tennis i mean venus is a a designer like with her 11 brand like i was scrolling through her instagram last night and some of her outfits are so cute like with the 11 brand mm -hmm. um serena also is in a lot of like financial ventures and um also does her own designing and has a jewelry line and a clothing line and just a lot of good stuff going on um and serena even said like we never plan to just only play tennis we plan to do more which i thought was um you know that's, that's a great lesson to have there because you know playing professional tennis is only going to get you to your like early 40s at the latest yeah um and then Venus said, um, from a young, from such a young age, all we've done is work. So I think for Serena and I to explore that freedom is surreal. We've never been free. So that was a really nice way to kind of end the, end the interview because I thought it really makes you realize how the impact that these two women have beyond just on the court. Yeah, yeah. And of course, it was a great interview. And since it was in a magazine, it was accompanied by some pics you know and they were so iconic I, w I saw them for the first time I think on Serena's Instagram because she had reposted them and I was blown away they looked amazing and just the fact that like how they posed in the photos showed their like sisterhood you know what I mean yeah like, yeah I know the fact I mean. that they're still so close like they've come so far and they've been there like every step of the way for each other I just I really appreciated that. Yeah. So definitely give that interview a read if you have it. It's super short. The, as Josephina said, the pictures are amazing. And it's it's a nice read to kind of get a, a new level of insight into their story, kind of at a totally different point in their career, and especially coming off of the movie. So definitely check that out. But um, now we're going to move on to our last hot headline, which personally is my favorite hot headline because I think it is so Gen Z, it is so on brand with us, it receives some backlash that we're so ready to dismantle, and also because the central figure of this story followed us back on Twitter yesterday, so I'm really excited. Um, so we're going to talk about Morgan Riddle. Um, if you don't know her, she's a social media influencer and Taylor Fritz's girlfriend um, and sh her kind of TikTok account and the quote-unquote tennis influencing that she's been doing on that account but also the some of the sexist backlash it's received but also a lot of the praise that it's received which I think has gone beyond the backlash. Yeah so she has been you know leveraging her platform particularly on TikTok. I've seen her TikToks they're amazing they're kind of about her life you know with being with like an ATP player and just the fact that tennis can be cool. And then some of her quotes actually on TikTok are that she's on a personal mission to make tennis cool again because tennis is, quote, relatively unknown and uncool in America. And honestly, I agree with her because especially us, like Gen Zers, when you, t when you talk about tennis, for example, in school or really in any environment that's not a tennis facility it's always like oh tennis that that weird sport where they just like hit the thing across the net I don't really understand it and I'd rather watch football or soccer <laughs> it's just obviously as we are extreme tennis enthusiasts it's kind of annoying and disappointing to see that that's the general view that people our age take on tennis but the fact that somebody here Morgan Riddle is kind of supporting well obviously she's not supporting us she's doing her own thing but like the fact that we're kind of in it together and that we're not the only ones who are trying to be like come on guys like tennis is actually really cool please look at tennis it's a really nice sport that you should get into but um yeah I like the fact that we're not alone in this yeah and we're gonna sort of get into this in just a bit but she's also really dismantling the um, sort of stereotype or norm of what a quote-unquote athlete girlfriend 
um, should be like because her TikToks don't only show sort of how she's traveling with Taylor and like attending these tournaments and supporting him, but also her side and how she involves her career into it. She's an influencer, so she talks about how she's, you know, always doing meetings or writing emails during while watching Taylor's practice sessions or kind of at the hotel or early in the morning or kind of combining the two like some of her videos are like day in the life videos of as a tennis girlfriend or get ready with me videos for tennis matches which are so fun to watch because her sense of style is awesome Mm -hmm. um and her most recent video is actually it got over three million views called tennis tour 101 so she's really combining her like even though it might seem like she's kind of just like doing something to maybe like older audience she's being shallow or just like kind of using tailored to sort of get her clout no she's leveraging her skills and her already gained platform as a social media influencer and combining her career with in a way her personal life with taylor and i think that that's amazing but um kind of just to give you a glimpse into what was in her latest video she's showing like sneak peeks into the grounds of the tennis tournaments um of her watching taylor's matches sort of the glitz and glam of tennis so it's really exciting and perfect branding for the audience that she's going for um and my favorite part is seeing taylor support her in the comments (laughs) because he's like super excited about it yeah and just the like the types of videos that she makes on tiktok that's what we find interesting these days that's Mm -hmm. that's the basis of it like she's doing the the right thing that's the way to grow tennis's audience with our generation like i can watch those videos over and over like I could scroll through her account and be like continued to stay entertained meanwhile of course like introducing somebody to tennis by showing them a full-on match that Mm -hmm. is pushing it a little far yeah so this is the right way to approach it and I really appreciate what she's doing with her platform but unfortunately her most recent TikTok the tennis tour 101 video received a lot of backlash on social media especially Twitter and uh you know like we said it was a tennis tour 101 video and it kind of explained the basics of the tour how tournaments and rankings work the upcoming netflix show and her again her mission to make tennis cool again so of course this all seems great to us i don't understand how it could receive backlash but um i guess it did yeah a lot of boomers on twitter were calling her out for being a kind of shallow Instagram influencer and that she's a bad representation of the sport. There was definitely a sense that people were kind of embracing the sexist tropes of the athlete girlfriend as being, again, shallow, ill-informed, not truly appreciating the sport, using it for clout, kind of all of that, which is, like, so demeaning to her career and her platform. Like, I know, like, influencing can seem kind of like, huh, what is that? But, like, you can see that, like, yes, I agree. Like, there's some influencers who are just like, what are you doing? Like, like this is, like, stupid. But, like, I've, like, looked at Morgan's account and, like, she's u- utilizing her platform in such a creative way. Like, using that position as, you know, someone who's so involved in tennis from that position of being an athlete's partner, but also putting in her own skill is something, I mean, she's really kind of exerting her own independence and and agency and making that cool and growing her career with that but a lot of people didn't like that because they thought that this is sort of like what is she who does she think she is kind of okay so Um, basically they're gatekeeping which is ridiculous because the whole idea is the opposite to right they're like spread the platform of tennis yeah like influencing a shadow athlete girlfriend should not be flaunting this and tiktok is stupid meanwhile we like, have we have one of those uh reels on our instagram of us pretending to be at atp girlfriends yes that it's very is, funny reel. it's really good um yeah the other thing that people took a lot of issue with was morgan calling tennis quote-unquote uncool in america but i think what those people don't realize is like maybe with some slightly older generations it's relatively popular um but like when josephina and i go to the u.s open the people our age who we see there are generally kind of just there with their parents and most of them are the people that we know (laughs) (laughs) yeah that too 
so i like and if you see what like people our age like repost on instagram it's a lot of stuff about basketball mm-hmm. or football mm-hmm. sometimes i see soccer even sometimes i'll see formula one hockey hockey but i'll never see anyone except josephina or <laughs> maybe like maybe two other people i know like post about tennis um so it I, I think that's a big misunderstanding because from our view, like the insider takes our generation generally views tennis as uncool. That's just a fact. And Morgan is right. Like she's in tune with that. The people criticizing her clearly don't know what the situation is. Yeah. So like an example of kind of this backlash was that somebody tweeted at her. Is that the right way of saying it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> quote making tennis cool again by having some influence influencer tout that it's a champagne and strawberry sport probably isn't going to make the sport cool again and then she actually replied i think the 2.7 million people who watched that video in the last 24 hours might disagree but who knows i'm just a dumb influencer queen <laughs> oh my god queen i love that i love that but honestly like I've scrolled through her Instagram so many times because it's just so nice to look at. And then, you know, like, since I haven't been to Wimbledon and to see her, like, pictures from Wimbledon and really just, like, honestly romanticizing the arena and kind of just the beautiful grass fields, I really appreciated that. And I think anybody can, even if they're not a tennis fan. And the fact that she's reaching out to people in that way, in kind of an artistic way... I, I I love that. She's really created a career for herself as a tennis influencer. Like, who knew that could be a thing? But she's making it a thing, and she's kind of a pioneer in that. Um, but yeah, we kind of want to give our take, because we were fangirling so hard when she followed us back on Twitter yesterday. Um, but move over, boomers. Like, this is what effective social media influencing looks like. We would know. We're the Gen Z tennis fans. (laughs) Exactly. Like, we're probably, like, the voices in tennis can, like, represent that she's doing, like, this is the kind of stuff that's going to draw in audiences. And as Josephina was saying, like, kind of, like, taking the example of her Wimbledon videos, but even, like, the recent content she's been doing of Acapulco, like, she's perfectly appealing to her target audience, which is people like us, in a fun, eye-catching way. And, I mean, she really is making tennis look cool. Mm-hmm. And just, we kind of, we're supporting her, obviously, in using her platform and skills to promote the sport and, you know really challenge the stereotypes of athlete girlfriends because no she's not just sitting on the sidelines watching she's doing something and she's also like even though it might be seen less from the on-court stuff off court she's doing a lot for the sport you know she's going to be the reason that more people come to the u.s open next year more people um tune in to see wimbledon this year for example and it's just you know that exposure is amazing and especially with the audience that she's targeting, you know, Gen Z, the audience that doesn't really know tennis, doesn't really appreciate tennis the way we do, because, you know, we're just, like, unique or whatever, but either way, (laughs) I just appreciate the fact that she's kind of pushing aside those gatekeeping boomers who think tennis is only for, for the people that know tennis. No, tennis is for everyone, and I think, I think she's really doing a great job of showcasing that. Yeah. So if there's any takeaway you have from this, give her a follow because you won't regret it. So now we're going to discuss some tennis. Those were some good hot headlines. But uh, yeah, we're going to start off with some of last week's results because we have plenty of tournaments going on and also then we're going to get into the tournaments that are actually concluding right now since it's Sunday you know this is the day that all the tournaments kind of just like come to a close but we're gonna start off with the St. Petersburg Ladies Trophy the WTA 500 where Annette Contivate the second seed defeated Maria Sakari the first seed 577675 and this was a two hour and 57 minute match so they really went at it 
Yeah, we were hardcore rooting for Annette here. We're big Annette fans. And with this title, this is Annette's 20th consecutive hardcore indoor win with the Ostrava, Moscow, Transylvania Open, and now St. Petersburg titles. So, I mean, she's doing amazing. Um, I also love her Instagram aesthetics. Whenever she, like, posts about mm-hmm. her wins or her celebratory yeah. tennis cakes, like, it's just, it's just, ugh, it's amazing. And now she's has reached a career high of world number six, moving up three places. So very impressive with her and not an easy final because Maria has had a pretty solid year with the Australian Open round of 16 and now this WTA 500 final. So um, she hasn't really faltered too much yet, but um, hopefully she can grab a title because she also has a not, you know, kind of a Felix, ex-Felix similar <laughs> record in the semis and finals. Um yeah. But also, Ostapenko had a very deep run here to the semis. So we're going to talk about what that meant for her going into Dubai this week. But um, she's also been looking to be an informed player the past couple of weeks. Yes. So now we have Rotterdam, the also a 500, but an ATP 500. And oh my goodness, guys, he did it after eight losses he finally did it felix ogerali Asim, the third seed defeated stefano Tsitsipas, the first seed six four six two in the final and honestly i am surprised that this is the one that he decided to take since it was against a first seed because i remember he was going to play a final against marin chilich like last year or the year before maybe and i thought oh this is the one But no, he decided to take the long route, you know, take his time, and he finally achieved it. So this is, in fact, Felix's maiden title, and like I said before then, he was 0-8 in finals, and we've been waiting for this moment for so long. Yeah, and I mean, it's really full circle for Felix, because he said, and you know, after the match, it has not been the smoothest road since my first final three years ago. It is an amazing day for me to get my first title, and especially here. I played my first ATP main draw here a couple of years ago, so it is right where, so it is right I won my first title here. So that's, you know, we're super happy for him. I think it's a big confidence boost from now. The pressure has certainly been alleviated and a, a big sigh of relief, and he is playing some of his best tennis. I mean, ever since sort of his Wimbledon, oh no, not that was Shapo, not Felix, but I think Felix did pretty well there. He made the quarters. But, yeah. So ever since kind of that, his U.S. Open semis and then kind of his um, Australian Open run and ATP Cup run, I mean, he's just doing really well mm-hmm. and producing some great tennis. He is. And, um, yeah, we expect a lot from him now because, you know, he's kind of made that breakthrough. It's kind of like a ceiling he had to kind of crash through in order to really just reach his potential. But um, we did have another tournament, the Dallas Open. Yeehaw! The ATP 250 <laughs> held in Dallas, Texas. And Riley Opelka, the second seed, defeated Jensen Brooksby, the fourth seed, 7-6-7-6. And this was uh, Riley's overall third ATP title and second Dallas slash New York Open title since then. Technically, they're the same tournament, but also not. But anyways, shout out to Jensen Brooksby. Because this is his second tour final and he has reached a career high ranking of 45. So he's cracking the top 50 for the first time, which is very exciting. But um, he was supposed to play Del Rey this week, but I think he, he pulled out because he had a sinus infection or something. And he said it had been bothering him for like a couple of days. So I'm going to assume that's why he lost the final. Yep. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um. Now, it can't be a an American 250 tournament without a lot of tiebreakers. Um, so in the semis, Riley Opelka, in fact, played... The, wait, was it Riley or was it Jensen who played this? It was John this, Isner. No, no, no. But who, did John, who beat John Isner in this Oh, semis? Riley. Oh, right, right. Okay, so Riley in the semis played the longest tour-level singles tiebreak in ATP history at 46 points. 
um, since 1990, when, as Josephita said, he defeated John Isder. And, I mean, are we surprised? Like, no. Like, it's it's a bunch of American big ATP servers, so I'm not shocked at all that there were a lot of tie breaks throughout this entire tournament. But, there you go. Yeah. So... Finally, we have the Argentina Open, the ATP 250 held in OMG, wouldn't you believe it, Argentina. <laughs> and Casper Ruud, the first seed, defeated Diego Schwartzman, the second seed, 5-7-6-2-6-3, and they were two kind of defending champions because Diego won in 2021, but Casper pulled out last year but won in 2020, and that was actually his maiden title. So as of now, Casper is 9-0 to at the Argentina Open, and I mean, he's had an impressive run these past few years. Last year, he took five titles, so his clay ATP 250 streak has improved to 18 straight wins with this title. And unfortunately, Casper just pulled out of Rio with an abominable abdominal injury. So hopefully we'll, he gets better soon so we can see some more of him. Yeah, so now as we transition into the action that's kind of wrapping up this week, you might have noticed that there, we were talking a lot about ATP tournaments, but we've only talked about one WTA tournament yet. And... You know, there was a tweet um, that at VunchV2K, who is pretty awesome on tennis Twitter if you don't follow him already, um, where he noted that in the 2022 tennis season so far, there have been 15 ATP Tour events. This is not including the ATP Cup. Um, and just seven WTA Tour events. Why are the women getting such fewer playing opportunities? And this sort of sparked a whole discussion because this is a two-pronged issue in that it's both sort of a media and like exposure issue, but also a pay issue, obviously kind of revolving around playing opportunities because now it's harder for WTA players to qualify for tournaments because there are fewer events, which makes it harder to earn money. So you're seeing a lot of these tournament fields so much more stacked because you have so many more players trying to compete for those spots in the main draw. Like Jill Teichman, for example, who's ranked like 35, had to come through qualifying to get into the Dubai main draw. So that kind of goes to show you how, um, you know, how hard it is for these WTA players to get into these tournaments because there are such few playing opportunities. And this kind of trickles down to like the ITF level as well. Um, So... I hope that gets resolved and evens out a bit because that does have an impact. Yeah, I totally agree because I felt recently, you know, I felt that before the St. Petersburg Ladies Trophy, there was that one week that was all ATP tournaments. And I was kind of searching, like, where is the WTA tennis? I don't see anything. And then I realized that there is just no tennis. And honestly, I was disappointed. And like you said, the fact that that's kind of trickling onto social media and the fact that Mm -hmm. people are just seeing more ATP tennis because there is more ATP tennis kind of it's just making that gap between the social media exposure of the WTA and ATP just larger and Mm -hmm. it's kind of working against everything that especially we have been working for for years (laughs) yeah because we're experienced in the field (laughs) (laughs) But, um, yeah, we're going to talk about some tournaments that are going on this week, starting with the Dubai Tennis Championships, the WTA 500. So this tournament was stacked, and like we said, it's evident why that would be. But um, everyone was saying that it looked like the second week of a slam, which, of course, they're producing great tennis, but at the same time, there's kind of a bittersweet connotation to it but we had a lot of upsets in this tournament Sabalenka, Barbie K, Paula Pedosa, Iga Sviantek, and Garbina Muguruza. Yeah but in the final we had a very resurgent performance from none other than Yelena Ostapenko who defeated Veronica Kudermatova 6-love 6-4 in 65 minutes and this is amazing because I mean, Josefina and I, once we started, like, Ostapenko's run was crazy. Once we started to see, like, the types of players that she was beating, like, we saw her, like, her 6-1, 6-2 win over Sophia Kennan in the first round. That made me laugh. I'm so sorry. We were texting each other. We were like, 
kind of ironically but unironically rooting for her this week because we were like this is kind of awesome because we've brought up her name kind of here and there every other episode just because you know her 2017 run is just so funny to reflect on but she's just a character so we were really excited to see her kind of finding her groove again and taking her fifth WTA singles title but this came as no easy feat because her sort of path to the title was very difficult. Yeah, she beat four Grand Slam champions en route, Sofia Kennan, Iga Swiatek, Petra Kvitova, and Simona Halep. And she came back from a set down versus Fiatek and actually saved a match point versus Petra Kvitova. And... um. Obviously, Simone, Simona was playing some amazing tennis in this tournament. So that goes to show how well Yelena was playing. But Yeah, coming uh, down from like a set down in all three of those and then kind of taking it in easy form versus Kudermatova in the final, like impressive stuff. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> we talked about in the last episode, I believe, about how kind of Adidas ditched her and she's been wearing different brands which, I mean, it's not even, like, I wear different brands. You wear different brands. This is not that big of a deal. No, but she was wearing, like, a she's... standard, she was wearing, like, a standard generic Nike kit because, like, she didn't have a sponsorship, so I think she just, like, wore the Nike kit, but it wasn't, like, the seasonal one. It was, like, a basic skirt and a shirt. So, like, it was clear, like, she didn't have a sponsorship from Nike, but she was just, like, wearing their clothes. Which is sad. Somebody better pick her up quick because she's doing really well. Yeah, and... I mean, to show that, her ranking is going to jump because after the St. Petersburg semis and this title in Dubai, she'll be ranked number 13, which is her best ranking in over three years and the first time that she's in the top 20 since 2018. Um, and, I mean, it's amazing. And I I do hope she can keep it going because she's known to sort of kind of have spikes Luxuate. like that. Yeah. yeah, but also, Kudermitova and Ostapenko also made it to the doubles final obviously on opposing teams, but that one, Kudermatova ended up taking with her partner, Elise Mertens. Oh, so yeah, Mertens. They they both got a trophy at the end of the day. Yes, and now on to the Rio Open, the ATP 500. They have been set back by a lot of rain delays. I know that I was looking, I was trying to look at the scores, and then I saw a match was canceled, and I was like, what? I didn't know that was possible. But um, anyways, yeah, the final is set, and it's going to happen later today, right? Yes. Yeah, so it's going to be Diego Schwartzman, the third seed, versus Carlos Alcaraz, the seventh seed. And they had to play quarters and semis in the same day because of all the rain. So that's pretty crazy. And honestly, that puts a strain on players, not only mentally. Like, imagine, wow, I can't even imagine, honestly. Imagine if they did that at, like, the U.S. Open. That would be insane. Yeah. Yeah. So to talk about our finalists, Diego defeated uh, compatriot Francisco Serendolo in the semis, um, who we were big fans of. But Diego was actually a finalist last week in Argentina. And Serendolo has been having a very good past few weeks on this sort of golden swing. Um, he took a challenger title. He made the Argentina Open quarters and the semis here in Rio and both of those losses were to Diego um but close matches and then we have Carlos Alcaraz who's been on fire and he defeated Matteo Berrettini in the quarters in a very rain interrupted three-setter but these two are definitely bringing up a rivalry and um this was Carlos's fourth top 10 win um so great for him there and then he defeated Fabio Fognini who somehow made his way into the (laughs) semis um but with this title Carlos Alcaraz would get into the top 20 so So, he really is on the rise and is starting to show yes interesting he's not the next he's not a Rafael Nadal yeah equivalent I don't understand I hate those comparisons (laughs) me too and you know, I uh, there's a post I think the ATP tour posted of Carlos Alcaraz, and then the comments. Every comment that like replied to somebody comparing him to Rafa Nadal and kind of trashing that person, I liked every comment. Yeah, because... I hate when the locals start commenting on like the ATP's <laughs> tweets or posts when they yeah. don't really know anything. Yeah, but um, there is some more tennis. However, they are smaller tennis tournaments, so some 
ATP 250s. There are three of them that have been going on this week. We're we're talking about three ATP 250s and one ATP 500 this week compared to just one WTA 500. Yeah. Like, that's ridiculous. it's, It's honestly annoying because i am sick we get sick of the atp real quick so easily yeah (laughs) so first up we have the qatar open an atp 250 event where roberto bautista good the second seed defeated nicolas basilevili puke um six three six four and this was RBA's 10th title, first since 2019, actually, so good for him. And unfortunately, last year, Basilis really took the title against RBA in this same final, but thank goodness for revenge, because somebody needs to get this guy off tour since the ATP's not doing anything. <laughs> um, but during RBA's trophy ceremony speech, guess who ran onto the court? And he was wearing... What are the things called? Pacifier, right? Yes. He was yes. wearing a pacifier. Roberto Jr. <laughs> RBA's one year old son. And he so is so cute. cute. Oh my god. I was seeing so the videos cute. on Instagram and it was I my heart was melting. It reminded Adorable. me of like um cause Mahout always his, yes. his son comes on and it's so cute. Yeah. Or also the um, doubles team of Cabal and Farah. Like yeah. One of their sons also always runs on court. But nice to see Roberta Jr. coming on. And this reminded me of Taylor Fritz calling RBA his dad. Um, <laughs> you have really a brother. <laughs> exactly. Um, but, oh my god, imagine Roberto having a play date with Taylor's son. Like oh a Taylor Fritz's son is older than Roberto <laughs> Batista Agut's son. Oh okay. my god! But either way, they're both adorable. But I think this alone turned me into a Batista Agut fan more so than I was kind of neutral on him. But this very whole, neutral, like so this, extremely neutral. I was this. This has made me actually really like him. I think he's moving his way up my my list. Um... Then we have the Marseille Open, another ATP 250 that literally just finished like an hour ago. I was watching it while eating breakfast, but Andre Rublev defeated Felix Ogeliasim 7-5-7-6. So honestly, I was happy with this result because Rublev is someone who hasn't been having his best season so far, but kind of just like making it through. And this was like a much needed kind of confidence boosting win and title. Um... Also, because he had lost to Felix a couple times before. So, this is his first title since Rotterdam last year and his ninth overall. So, nice to see him kind of get that groove back, but really nothing to be too shaken up or disappointed about here for Felix. Yeah, so Felix is, like we said, coming off of that Rotterdam final where um, he had... Uh, uh, he had an eight-match winning streak going into this final, and overall in twenty twenty-two, he's fifteen to four win loss. So he is definitely one of the most informed players of twenty twenty-two. But also, he t- spoke about now how the pressure is going to kind of be a lot less when he's going to the later stages of tournaments, especially finals, because you know, that one thing won't be on everyone's mind anymore. You know, he got that title and it's not going to be like, oh, is this the one for Felix? This has to be the one for Felix. Is it going to be this one? No, now he can just, you know, enjoy himself and prove really. Honestly, the fact that he needed a title to prove what an amazing player he was, was a little annoying because of all that pressure he was facing because he made eight finals at what 21 years old that's phenomenal and honestly he did run out of steam a little bit in this match but either way a phenomenal start to the season and honestly nearly perfect just awesome tennis from him yes um okay this is quite possibly the most boring tournament of the week but the delray beach open atp 250 where we have riley opelka once again in a American Southern 250 <laughs> level tournament final um, playing against Cam Nori, the first seed. Um, 
wow. I mean, yeah, so it's, it's just as bland as it that, gets. I, I hope you're as excited about this as I am. I'm falling asleep as we speak. <laughs> um, yeah. So the semifinals were Riley Opelka defeating John Millman, seven six six seven seven six. John Millman. <laughs> Is that score real? Yeah, I know, right? But John Millman, he isn't so bland. Well, we'll cut him some slack here. No, he's like the only one with flavor in this draw. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the other semifinal is Cameron Norrie defeating Tommy Paul. 6363. Six, three. <laughs> Tommy Paul, you know, he's his own thing. He's, yeah. But um, in the quarters, Cameron Norrie defeated Sebastian Corda, which I'm taking personally. But it's okay because Seppi got him in round one of the Australian Open, which is like definitely a more important tournament, a little bit. And you know, wait, did Seppi make the finals of Delray or win? Delray I was just last about year? to say that. I think he made the finals last year. Yeah. So obviously, I'm a little salty about this, but whatever. Yeah. That's <laughs> a horrible end to that. Yeah. Anyways, we have some tennis coming up and next week. So let's Really like today. Slash tomorrow. Well yeah. Starting. Let's do the, the jiggy down on that. <laughs> yes. So on the ATP side we have the Dubai five hundred where Djokovic is gonna play for the first time this season. The Acapulco five hundred where Daniel Medvedev is headlining the field. And then the Chile two fifty. And then on the WTA side, we have the Doha Masters 1000, the first Masters 1000 of the year, right, on either side. Yeah. Um, and then Guadalajara 250, where we have players like Emma Raducanu and Madison Keys on court. And it's the same purple and gray court that we saw the WTA finals. So um, that's all looking good. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us, and that is game, set, and match for today. If you like this episode, please let us know and stay tuned for more. We'll be providing you all the coverage of upcoming tennis and, of course, all the tea on tour. Email us at holdontoyourracket at gmail.com for any questions and leave a rating on whatever platform you're listening on. Hold On To Your Racket is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Follow us on social media at Hold On To Your Racket on Instagram and at H-O-T-Y-R underscore Tennis Pod on Twitter. Our next episode will be released next week as the spring hardcourt swing continues. And remember, my name is Josefina. And my name is Shravya. And if you enjoyed this episode, make sure to hold on to your racket until next time. Mm-hmm.